This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Chef Hiking here. We're back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. Have a great guest today. Andrew Carruthers is a senior customer experience leader, and he is at Cisco, one of the largest companies in the world. And he's helped companies uh, build out their digital customer experience approach to increasing customer adoption and retention, improving renewal rates, and driving growth. We're going to talk about how you can do that as well, regardless of the type of business you're in. This will apply to B2B as well as B2C. A couple of quick announcements, and you know what they are if you've heard the show before. If you've got an amazing story, you want to share a question, you want me to answer, you can reach out to me on any social media channel because I am pretty much everywhere. And if it is a question, please use the hashtag Ask Shep. I'll answer the question right there in the social channel on this show and my newsletter or I will answer it on my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home. And episodes can be found on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Prime, C-Suite TV, and even on YouTube. And you can go to BeAmazing.tv if you would like to uh, just start binging on all of the episodes. That's BeAmazing.tv. All right, everybody, let's bring our guest on. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chef. Happy to be here. I'm glad you're here. Lots to talk about. You have a great background. I mean, you're you're representing, you know, a, a customer experience, a leadership role as a founding member in Cisco CX function. Cisco is a big, big company. Can you just give us a real quick, you know, 30 seconds on what you do there? And, and this will intrigue people to say, I need to listen to this dude. He's real, real smart. Well, I'll do my best, Steve. <laughs> Uh, so I am um, part of the team that's, that started Cisco CX Function and specifically focusing in for the last uh, 12 years or so on the digital element of customer experience. So how do we reach our customers directly and through our partners? And we have millions of customers in 150 countries around the world and 90% of our business goes through partners. So how do we reach all of those customers every day through multiple channels when they need to be reached. And digital is the approach to do that. And that's where I focus in on. Yep. And your partners are the ones that customers actually buy the Cisco software, for lack of a better term, or platform uh, that they're using. They buy it through partners who help them install it, service it, keep it going. All right, great. So what I want to talk about is you have a really intriguing, um, you know, four, let's see, I actually, when I was looking at my notes, I I thought five key steps, but we have four key steps that you want to go through that I think are important to delivering a great customer experience. And I know that you mentioned a lot of it is digital. So we're going to be focusing primarily on that. But I think a lot of this crosses over. And I also think that, you know, Cisco, great company, 
a lot of B2B out there, business to business, but still, whether you're B2B, B2C, or even if you're in the government, we need to hear these four steps from you because I've read through your brief and uh, through my show notes uh, prior to coming on to our interview, and I think this is going to be fascinating. So let's start with, uh, and here's what I think we'll do. We'll go through the first couple steps, take a short break, come back and do the other two. So let's start with number one, which is uh, very simple. Get your customer experience, your CX house in order. Yeah, that, this is this is an overarching um, key step here. So the idea here is um, that we need to build organizations, again, whether to your point, whether they're government uh, trying to deliver services to constituents or whether it's B2B or B2C, organizations need to build a solid CX foundation, uh, right? And I call that getting that house in order. So that includes um, busting through internal silos um, that create obstacles to success. So those silos are things like, you know, human silos and, and people, you know, building their territories, but it also needs digital. Like we have in, in Cisco and in many companies, a large challenge that we've had to overcome are the digital silos where data is set in multiple, comp- uh, multiple areas of the companies. And it's not transportable, right? So we might have, in companies large as Cisco, we've got multiple CRM systems, for example, because we've, we've grown over the years organically and through acquisition. And every one of those business units that, that has grown has tended to come on board with its own CRM system. So trying to tie the data across CRM, you know, as basic as let's just have customer data in one place, that's been complex. Um, true fact, when we started this journey within CX on the digital perspective uh, about a dozen years ago, as I mentioned, it took us three years to identify and get access to every customer data source inside Cisco. All the different business units, the CX side versus the sales side versus the marketing side, all the different elements. Just It took three years just to identify and get access to the data. I don't, I mean, this blows my mind. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm going to acquire a company, one of the first things I would do is, is take their existing, uh, whatever software platforms are using and integrate them into either one of two things, either they come into ours or we decide theirs is better. Let's all switch over to the new one. Uh, but you're saying this didn't happen. Uh, how could that be? Yeah, I know on the face of it, it sounds shocking. Um, the, the, the reasons for it are things like, we don't want to break what we've just bought, right? So let's, let's let them operate in truth, our, for a number of years, our CRM system, we were early adopters from a sales perspective, our sales team, early adopters of Salesforce and, um, very early on in Salesforce as a product. So our IT team did a lot of customization, which then boxed us in so that we weren't able to upgrade very easily without breaking the whole system to future instances of Salesforce. And so we ended up having a, a very relatively outdated version of, of our sales instance for Salesforce, highly customized. Um, so when we would buy another company, they would look around and say, well, like our Salesforce instance is, they're both Salesforce, but ours is significantly more advanced than yours we're not going to switch. So, uh, and then we, of course, we didn't want to force them into something that wasn't going to work. So it, it's all about how do we get these team, these companies that we acquire. And on average, Cisco acquires two companies a month. Most of those are small, but you get a sense of sort of the scale of this, of this company and the data sources. So 
that's sort of big picture of how that type of reality occurs. It's not unusual for large legacy companies. Cisco's over 35 years old. So that's as, as wild as that sounds, it actually happens a bit. Yeah, I, I'm wondering how often, and, and by the way, today, if a company is acquired uh, or merged into Cisco's uh, system, who, what do we do? Are we going to leave it? Are we going to leave them out there in their own little silo? Or are we busting that silo down with all current and future acquisitions? Now we are busting that silo down. Now bringing companies, the, the, the acquisition integration process that we have within Cisco now includes what is the post-sale customer experience um, going to look like and sort of operationally, uh, internally facing, how are we going to integrate the data? How are we going to integrate the processes? You know, what are we going to take uh, as a best practice from that in, from that company that we're that we purchased? What are we going to bring from the Cisco sort of established best practices into the way that company operates moving forward? So we've gotten a lot better at that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right, number two is, and I love this topic. It's so hot right now. Everybody can guess. It's two letters: AI. Embrace AI is your suggestion. And uh, I would say any company that isn't taking advantage of AI right now is really, AI is really missing the opportunity. And, and specifically, not so much AI, but is in the generative AI, which is ChatGPT and the, uh, the larger language models that allow you to communicate just like you're talking to a human. Uh, so uh, explain this to me. <laughs> is that what 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 he what uh, Ricky said to Lucy? Explain this to me, Lucy. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I, so there are two. I, I think we. I hope we are moving from the fear of AI to at least dipping our toes in the water of like, well, seems like it's here to stay. How can I leverage it? So, in the spirit of how can I leverage it, there were really two buckets, two ways to think about how do I leverage generative AI? One is customer facing or partner facing, right? Stakeholder facing um, processes and communications. And how do I optimize that? The other one is then internally, how do I optimize my own processes? So from the, from the customer facing or the stakeholder facing view, it's everything from how do I quickly generate personalized content, personalized to uh, personas or groups of, of customers, or perhaps personalized directly to the individual that's involved. And that goes back to step one, get your house in order, understand your data, break down the silos, you know, et cetera. So if I've got a customer who's coming in from, uh, you know, and, and coming to my website, for example, or my customer community, or via WhatsApp, pick your channel, and they're trying to find information to help them along their adoption journey or perhaps they're looking to renew a contract they've got, or perhaps they don't even know that they have an adoption problem, that they've been stuck in a particular adoption stage for, for far too long. But we know from the data that we have, using AI to do things like understanding um, what material would be the best way to communicate with that customer. That could be, you know, in terms of what content that customer needs to receive related to adoption, renewal, whatever it might be, but also in what form factor, right? Does that customer prefer videos? Does that customer prefer, uh, you know, product sheets or website content? How, how to take the content and, and deliver that? And it's just a theoretical exercise without 
generative AI because the amount of time it would take and the, the amount of dollars and resources and people it would take to create all this customized content it makes it a non-starter. But generative AI can do it in seconds, right? It turned it around. I've done things just on a personal level. I've planned a trip I've got upcoming to Romania and Bulgaria using generative AI trip planning tools, um, right? So there's a whole variety of ways. One specific example that I was talking about with my team internally today is Cisco uh, translates into 16 different languages, right? That, that's our process. Well, we have customers who don't speak those 16 languages. One of them and is there's got to be more than 16 languages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have some very large customers that we don't reach because we don't communicate in their language. We can use generative AI to to translate into dozens of languages without paying the traditional translation fees and costs, et cetera, that would make it prohibitive. So using generative AI to, to create contextually relevant, intelligent content that, that, will, that will help your customers know that you understand who they are and help them through their process to whatever they're trying to get to, that's one, one way to use AI. Another way is to use it within your own your sort of internal organization for processes to automate manual processes that you have to look at, for example, um, to, to analyze great stores of data and do it relatively quickly to understand where are our customers getting stuck when they're trying to adopt what uh, and and. and People currently look at that, but from a big picture, all of my customers or maybe big chunks as personas, but how about specific levels or types of customers, right? That level of specificity. Who's the best contact that I should be reaching out to and through which preferred channels? Is it email? Is it, is it SMS? Is it, you know, whatever it might be. All of that data analysis can be done with, this is sort of, I'll call it traditional AI here, like using um, you know, uh, process models, et cetera, but to really help you understand and target your processes and understand where you have friction points that you can remove. Um, that's another great way to use AI. Yeah. I actually think that it, this, and I've said this for a long time before the whole chat GPT type technologies really came around at the end of 2022. Um, I've been saying AI, some of the best use is to support the employee, the agent, the salesperson, not necessarily to try to answer questions for the customer because uh, the customer doesn't always know how to properly ask the question, which is a beautiful thing about the new version like ChatGPT. If I don't get the right answer, I just simply type, I think you misunderstand me. What I mean is this, I ask it a different way and I get the answer. Hey, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to cover the other two ideas that you have, which has to do about uh, scaling digitally as well as, and this is a big one I love, measuring what matters, the best metrics for business. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are talking to Andrew Carruthers, Senior CX Leader at Cisco on Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. One of my favorite sayings is that customer service isn't a department, it's a philosophy. And it's a philosophy that must be embraced by everyone in the organization all the time, and that's 24 seven. So if customer service is important to you, and I know it is, then you will love our virtual training, the ultimate on-demand customer service and experience training program that you can access anytime, anywhere. 
Now, the course content applies to everyone, regardless of position and responsibility, from senior executives to the most recently hired and everyone in between. You'll discover tips, ideas, and strategies that won't cost your company a fortune, but will produce what I call moments of magic, those positive experiences, and it will happen at every level of your organization. So go to Customer Service VT. That's V as in virtual, T as in training. That's CustomerServiceVT.com. It's time to get customer focused. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We are back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Andrew Carruthers, Senior CX Leader at Cisco. And we've been talking about embracing AI, getting your your house in order, your CX house specifically in order, uh, getting rid of, uh, or at least consolidating systems, busting down and getting rid of silos where information that's important for people to have may not be readily available just because of an antiquated system. Well, I want to jump now to number three, and this is an interesting one because I think this applies a lot more to the Cisco way of thinking, but I think everybody's going to get it. And then as we move into number four, I love talking about measurement because like Peter Drucker has been credited with saying, you can't manage what you don't measure. And you've got some thoughts on that. So let's go to number three, which is to scale digitally in lockstep with selling partners. And I know you mentioned Cisco has partners that are out there selling your product. A lot of companies don't have that. They sell direct to whoever their customer is, another business, a consumer, whomever. But let's talk about the Cisco way of doing things. Great. So as I mentioned before, about 90% of Cisco's business goes through partners. And we have thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of partners uh, globally. And um, the important thing to think about here is there's an information exchange that happens between the, the vendor, Cisco, and customers, and then the third party. In this case, it's it's a partner. Whether that be a partner, oftentimes it's the partner that sold the hardware, the software, uh, the, the service, whatever it be, and also then is helping the customer with implementation. In the customer's mind, there's no difference between Cisco and the partner. So they're yeah, holding. It's both. all Cisco. It's all Cisco. So uh, so we need to make sure that we are sharing data with that partner. And while that sounds obvious and it sounds like a no-brainer, that is exceptionally hard to do because we're dealing with, as I mentioned, tens of thousands of partners with various levels of maturity within their own IT organizations, et cetera. So to share data back and forth, to make sure that our customer-facing folks, our CSMs and the partner CSMs who may be working on the same account, know what the other one's doing so that the customer knows the right hand and the left hand, the partner and the and the and Cisco know what's going on. The partners are much closer to our customers than we are. They're the ones who are working directly with the customer. So that's where we need to learn from them. Why did the customer buy this solution? Who do we reach out to, right? Because the name that we have on the contract may be somebody in the per, from purchasing, not the actual user. Right. So the partner has has this great store of customer information that we need a way that we can quickly share. So we've built out a platform that allows Cisco and our partners to share information back and forth. And we built out um, our digital experiences for customers with partners in mind. So if it's going to be email, they're co-branded email. So we make it very easy for partners to participate in this process. 
Um, if it's if it's self-help that we're building for customers, um, for example, we've built out a, a frictionless renewal process so that customers can go, they get notified when they have a renewal coming up, they can go to a page, they can build out their own quote in essence and connect it with the appropriate partner um, to, to then actually conduct the sale because the sale is the partner. So A, using AI to determine who's the appropriate partner because customers may have multiple partners that they're working with, maybe some for security, maybe some for services, maybe some for collaboration like, like uh, Cisco WebEx, et cetera. Um, so making sure that we're connecting them with partners and then we send them to a co-branded co with, with that particular partner landing page, essentially, where they can look at their quote, they can upsell themselves, cross-sell, et cetera. So working closely with partners is critical to our business and I suspect to, to a number of companies' business that listen to your podcast. Yeah, and even if you don't have that type of a setup where there's a partner, there is a, a an underlying message that I'm hearing, and that is, uh, I think your partner is every bit as much a customer as your customer or excuse me, as your end user of your software is as being a customer. So you've just got two different types of customers. And what you're trying to do is integrate the two, the end user and your partner together to make a seamless um, experience that ties in you as the uh, the manufacturer and the provider of the actual uh, software platform. And, and even, do you sell hardware as well or is it all purely- yeah, we do. So, we started yeah. selling hardware. We got we built out our CX function when we start when we moved to selling software and subscription services. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think of IBM the old days. IBM was a big computer today. I don't think they sell anything but, you know, uh, solutions. So it's all all software. All right. Which brings us now to your final comment, which is number four. Measure what matters. And again, I want to emphasize that Peter Drucker quote that you can't manage what you don't measure. You need to know uh, what's out there, what what feedback you're getting from customers. Uh, you need to be looking at numbers and it's all about numbers. So let's talk about important measurements uh, that we all need to be thinking about. And there, there are a variety of ways to use different measurements. I think it's important to understand not just what am I measuring, but why am I measuring that? So for example, there are some measurements that are important for operational efficiency and optimization, things like customer effort score and you know MPS and, and uh, other types of metrics. Um, so that we understand, are we providing the, the type of experience for our customers that we're looking to do? Let's have our customers tell us. There are also business impact metrics. So uh, these are often not talked about when in the CX world, right? It's focusing on the CSAT, MPS, customer effort score, those sorts of things. But the, the why does it matter, right? Why do we have this function? How is this helping us drive revenue through, through growing through existing customers, through upsell, cross-sell, through renewals, uh, saving costs, um, all those sort of business impact metrics. That's what funds the function internally. So that's what's important for for when talking to the C-suite, for example. Yeah, you can't go to the C-suite with the idea of, I, let's just say I wanna bring a Cisco software solution into my company, it's gonna cost X amount of dollars. I have to justify, number one, what's that going to do uh, if, I, if I'm in the CX or customer service function, what is that gonna do to impact my numbers about net promoter score, customer satisfaction, as you mentioned, all the, the related you know uh, customer effort scores. 
but my C-suite leader, whoever I'm talking to is going to say, okay, that's great. So our customers are going to be happier. What's that going to do to my bottom line? That's right. the business metric that you're talking about. And you need to combine the two of them. Exactly. And right. So I think equally important is, is sort of what's, what is the customer's, what metric is, is showing us that the customer's business is thriving? Because if they do that, they'll continue to buy, et cetera. So that then sort of triangulates to the CX metrics and the business metrics. So all of that involved. Here's sort of big picture the way I look at it. The discipline of customer experience is, is I wrote an article recently saying if CX has hit the teenage years. Right. So we're we're a real thing now. There's a there there, like sort of born from marketing and from customer service, et cetera. CX is its own thing. One of the things that it's trying to figure out in its teenage years as it's trying to figure out, like, who am I, is what are the right measurements? And as we've been talking about, it's a combination of the CX and the business metrics. Yeah, love it. Love it. And and then your your thought is ultimately the most important metric is about the customer's business. Is it thriving? And because that's what you do, you help companies be more successful at what they do. And I think that that's a great metric. And I also think that's a very unselfish metric. It, it, and I would like to go a step further and say, we know, is their business thriving? And do they keep, in your case, do they keep renewing? So uh, I wrote a book titled, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. And I said, the most important metric, it's not even so much just sales. It's not satisfaction scores or NPS scores. It's this, return. Do they come back? Uh, you know, so that's the, that's the metric to look at. Well, we're just about out of time. I love to end every show with a final question. I've warned you it's coming. And that is what we refer to as the one thing question. What one thing, what nugget of information, what last piece of advice do you have from us? All right. So I love this question and I love hearing the responses you get from various guests. So I'll say we're now in the age of the customer where customers have the opportunity to quickly and relatively easily switch vendors if they want to, B2C and B2B. That means that it's incumbent on the company to develop a simple customer experience that, that guides customers to the value they're looking for quickly without a lot of hurdles and hoops to jump through, et cetera. Make it easy for me to get from A to B or I'm going somewhere else. And that, that approach applies to everybody, all customers, which means right, not just large enterprises that companies can hire customer success executives to work through directly, Every customer expects that and they'll switch vendors if they don't get it. In fact, 75% of customers prefer digital self-serve interactions with the opportunity for a human fallback if they need it. So that means that to provide the type of customer experience that every customer expects, digital has to be at the center of the customer experience strategy. It's what customers want. It's how customers expect to engage with the company. It's what companies need to be prepared to provide. Yep. And our research shows more and more consumers are actually leaning more toward digital experiences first. And just so you know, a digital experience by itself is I need to call a company. Where do I go to get the phone number? To their website, right? And that's the beginning of a digital experience. And if at that point we can lead them to a self-service solution, great. But otherwise, like to your point, 
have that fallback, make it easy for the customer to get to a human being. And there's something that I thought was really, really important that you just said. It's uh, you are alluding to the idea of no friction, eliminate friction, because it's expected that your product is going to do what it's supposed to do. Now, the expectation is because so many companies provided a great service experience. And part of that great service is no friction. The moment you put up friction, companies and customers, you know, your your B2B uh, customers, companies, and your consumers are going to say, there's got to be a better way. Let me go see if there is. And next thing you know, they're gone. So, hey, this has been great. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This is why we call it Amazing Business Radio. Great insights. Thank you. Thank you, Chef. I love the conversation with you. Appreciate it and hope your audience found something useful out of it. I guarantee they did. All right, everybody, that wraps it up. Another episode of Amazing Business Radio. We will be back next week with another interview. And until that time, this is Chef Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.